The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm ready to get into the Word this morning. I'm excited to get into the Word. Always excited to get into the Word. I mean, I, I love to, to uh, pursue the Scripture together. I know God has great things for us. Always encourage some note-taking. If you have the ability to write a couple of things down, I think that's good. Helps us to, to recall things, remember things. And then two, it's very important that you know God is speaking to you. He's speaking directly to you. Uh, when we come together and we, we get into the Word together, it's very easy to just consider that a sermon or a message or a teaching, but the reality is the Spirit of God is at work in your life, leading you and guiding you, teaching you, and continuing to mature you as a believer. And it's very important that you participate in those things. So if you can write a few things down, that would help. If not, just stay, uh, stay engaged and pay attention. We're going to find some great things in the Word today. One of the things we're going to find, these are just a few things to look forward to, okay? One of the things we're going to find is what Jesus talks about. I mean, there's something that Jesus talks about. We see it in the scripture. And I think it's interesting to take a look at what Jesus talks about. I mean, I want you to think for a moment about the people that you know. The people that you enjoy being around. The people that maybe you don't enjoy being around them so much. I mean, they, they all talk about things, right? They talk about different things. Most of the times, the people that you enjoy being around, maybe you enjoy talking about the same things they talk about, Right? So I think it's really interesting to find out what Jesus talks about. It also reveals what's important to Jesus. I mean, what you talk about is really what's important to you. If you came over to my house and all I ever talked about was sports, well, you would think, wow, this guy really likes sports. Sports are really important to this guy. When you see what Jesus talks about throughout the Scripture, you can see what's really important to Jesus because he's speaking about it for a couple of reasons. One because it's real, it's true, it's, it's, a, it's a very present reality, and then two, because he believes it's a very important thing to share with you. So we're going to find out what Jesus talks about. Another thing we're going to find, we're going to have a lot about Jesus today, and I'm glad for that, what Jesus is. I mean, not who he is, but what he is. I mean, how he's described in the scripture or identified. That may not be the best way to put it, but you get the picture. And then another thing we're going to find is what Jesus buys, what he buys. I mean, you can tell a lot about a person by what they spend their money on. I mean, that's just, it's kind of funny. I'll come home and, you know, thanks to technology, romance is gone, right? I can't surprise my <laughs> wife with anything because I'm not allowed to carry cash for some reason because I spend it. I think that's a pretty sorry reason to not be able to carry cash. That's what it's meant, it's meant to be spent. So, you know, I'll come home and, and I'll be asked, you know, hey, did you spend $7 at Sonic? And I have this look on my face like if you caught a raccoon digging in your trash, you know, it's like, <gasps> no, I didn't. Yeah, on ice cream, that's about right. That's what it is. It's just funny, if you look at what people spend their money on, it says a lot about the person. So, I mean, we're not necessarily talking about money in this case, but we are talking about a purchase. And we're going to see in the scripture what Jesus is buying. And I think that's going to be a, a very helpful thing to see in our understanding of who Jesus is in our lives and uh, what we mean to him. So I want to get right into the word. I want to talk about what Jesus talks about. 
I want to identify what he talks about. I think it's really important to know what's on his mind and what he speaks about. I want to give you a passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, I want to look at verse 1. So you're, you're in the very first passages of the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts is this wonderful historical account of, of the, the church being birthed and Jesus uh, imparting great things and believers uh, doing wonderful things in the name of Jesus. You have this incredible piece of history and you get a chance to see how it begins in these first uh, few verses. So I want to read the, the first three verses here out of Acts, and we're going to find out what Jesus talks about. So the, beginning in verse 1, it says, The first account that I compose, now this is the author or the writer of the book of Acts, about all that Jesus did and, and taught, about all that he was doing and teaching, until the day that he was taken up into heaven, after he'd already, by the Holy Spirit, given order to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. With many convincing proofs, he appeared to them for a period of 40 days. And he spoke to them of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So here's what we see here in these first few verses in the beginning of the book of Acts. That Jesus is is come from the grave, he's, he's risen from the dead, he's, he's meeting with the apostles and those who, who had believed in him, and, and he's performing wonderful things. It says that he's, he presented himself alive after his suffering with many convincing proofs. I have to think many convincing proofs mean it was, it was pretty cool to see. And as he's engaging with the people whom he loves dearly, giving them proof and evidence of his resurrection and, and the wonders that God has accomplished uh, through the cross and the empty tomb. As he's appearing to them, the word goes out of its way to say that for 40 days when he was spending time with them, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. It's what's on his mind. It's what's on his heart. It's a priority message in his life, the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus talks about. Now, this makes me want to pursue knowledge of and, and find out more about the kingdom of God. If it's important to Jesus, I want it to be important to me. And if I could sit down and have a conversation with Jesus, just like the apostles sat down and had a, a conversation with Jesus, I would have to believe that it would be very similar, that he would speak about the kingdom of God. I want to give you another passage of scripture that I believe shows the importance of or the priority of the kingdom of God to Jesus. It comes out of the, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. I want to look at verse 17. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, you see Jesus beginning uh, his, his public ministry, beginning the preaching and, and the miracles and all the things that we, we read about and we celebrate. And as he's beginning this, this ministry, the scripture reveals something very clear, very important, and it really goes out of its way to include it, which means it's meant to be in there. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it talks about Jesus beginning his, his preaching. And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent or change, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
I mean, you can take that one passage of Scripture and draw a conclusion that every message Jesus preached, everything that he said was to communicate that the kingdom of God was present. That he was speaking of, prioritizing, and putting the kingdom of heaven in front of people because of its importance. I want to talk for a moment about the idea of, of the kingdom of God. I mean, I know I've, I've cracked, you know, when you're a pastor, you have this wonderful luxury that you don't have to be funny. You can tell a joke and people will kind of laugh just because they're so polite. But I remember when I was a kid, it's really not a joke. I mean, I, I really did. I would go through my Bible out of sheer boredom. I would be sitting in church having no idea what was going on. And, and I would start to just open up the Bible, and then in the back, there were these incredible maps. Have you ever seen the maps in the back of a Bible? Maps like this one right here. It says the age of the patriarchs. Well, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew it was cool and started reading some of the names of places, and I would look through. I would go through those maps. Well, in my entire childhood and youth going through those maps, I never found the kingdom of God. Never found the kingdom of heaven on one of those maps. So as I, I come into the reality that, that Jesus is speaking of this kingdom, I'm asking myself, well, where is it? What is it? And I think we have to understand that we're not dealing with a, a location, but we're dealing with a, a domain, a jurisdiction is a good word. A jurisdiction meaning an area of, where there is an authority present. And when you think of the word kingdom, I mean, I, I break it down in my mind to two words, the, the domain or the area of a king. And in our case, that king is Jesus. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here out of Matthew concerning judgment or, or the judgment. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking about the judgment and he refers to a time when all the people and all the nations are gathered before the Son of Man. Now, this is Jesus, gathered before Jesus. And then Jesus identifies himself in this statement as the king. And he says it in verse 34. He says, Then the king will say to those who are on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I think it's important that we see Jesus in the same way as he identifies himself as, as a king. And oftentimes we come into church or we, we are, are brought into circles of Christianity where Jesus is identified as a savior and all of these things, and those are wonderful things. They're, they're, they're true. I mean, Jesus is our savior. But I think if we don't have Jesus identified in our lives as our king, we might miss out on the point which is the kingdom. His jurisdiction, his rule, his authority having an effect on my life or on your life. To see Jesus as a king is to see Jesus as ruling a kingdom. And it's the beginning of participating in his kingdom. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of the book of Daniel. I like to give a lot of scriptures because I think it makes my job really easy. I mean, the word of God is powerful and it's true and it's absolutely effective in every way for the purpose of teaching and learning and growing in the things of God. I want to show you something that Daniel saw. Now, Daniel is a man of God who, who wrote down what he saw in this wonderful 
of prophetic vision. In chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, I want to begin reading in verse 13. He says, I kept looking into the vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man, now that's Jesus, was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, now that's the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all the peoples, all the nations, men from every language, that they would serve him. And his dominion or his kingdom is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. Now, that passage of Scripture is, is a wonderful and powerful passage. It's very descriptive, and you can picture and imagine in your mind this, this glorious procession where Jesus stands before God, and it's, it's officially declared that he is king forevermore. I mean, everything that would have taken place upon his, his death and his conquering of the grave and then his resurrection, it's the reason why when he would come back and speak to the disciples, he would talk about the kingdom, everything that was bestowed upon him, everything that he would be uh, head over and everything that he would lead us into within the kingdom of God. When you have this image in your mind, you have this picture in your head, it, it's a lot easier to see Jesus as a king. I want to offer this to you. I mean, many of you are aware of, of the, the history of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross. And oftentimes when we're brought into Christianity, that's a big part of that understanding. Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins? And the answer is yes, I do believe that. And, and it's this, this wonderful thing. But I, I want to offer you this. If you look at the history of the crucifixion, you see that Jesus is beaten, and it's a horrible scene, and he's, he's mocked, and he's, he's spit upon, and it's this, this horrible uh, series of, of awful tortures and, and mocking and shameful situations. And nobody raises their voice at all. Nobody is offended. Nobody cares. Because this is exactly what people were wanting. And then something happens during the crucifixion, and I think it's worth making a note of. As Jesus is on the cross, as he's giving his life for you and for me, a sign is placed over his head. And everybody who didn't care when he was being beaten, nobody raised their voice, nobody said, hey, stop that. Everyone who was silent during all the mocking and all of the driving in of the nails and the whole uh, uh, procedure of this horrible execution all of the sudden began to raise their voice. The sign that was placed over his head identified him as a king. This is the king of the Jews. As soon as that sign went up, everyone who had no problem with him being beaten, everyone who had no problem with him being spit upon, everyone who had no problem with him being stripped and humiliated, everyone who had no problem with him being killed, all of the sudden had tremendous issues. We don't like the idea of him being identified as a king. Now, I ask myself this in my own life. I mean, do I struggle with Jesus being identified as a king? Do I have a hard time with him being in charge? 
Uh, do I find it difficult to see that his word is higher than my word, that his instruction is more important than what I want? Do I have a hard time identifying him as a king? And if I do, I need to deal with that. The reality is Jesus has been given a kingdom, and that kingdom has been bestowed upon all of those who call upon his name. I want to give you a couple of things from the scripture concerning the kingdom so that we can know and understand what this wonderful, powerful gift is that has been so richly bestowed upon you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of Romans describing the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. I'll I'll just read it to you. Uh, The end of the passage reads like this. The kingdom of God is or consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There are three things, three wonderful things. I mean, if if I were to say, hey, guys, uh, if you want to have more righteousness in your life, raise your hand, I think hands would go up. Hey, guys, if you want to have more peace in your life, raise your hands. I think hands would go up. I have children, so I would definitely raise my hand. Hey, guys, uh, how many of you would like more joy in your life? Well, I think hands would fly up. I mean, these are incredible, wonderful, powerful things that God has bestowed upon us all through Jesus as king. And oftentimes when I see a compromise in righteousness, when I find that I've compromised or fallen into sin in one way, shape, or form, or when I've lost peace and all of a sudden I'm afraid or or there's chaos and confusion and and anxiety is taking over, or I'm, I'm without joy and I find myself struggling with thoughts that are depressing, most of the time, every single time that I can think of, there's been a time where I've lost sight as Jesus as my king. I've done things my way, or I have forgotten that he has been enthroned to rule and to lead, and that his authority is absolute, and that his kingdom will never be shaken. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are the things that God brings into our life in the kingdom of God. When Jesus stands and he says, change or repent, make the changes necessary. Move from doing what you used to do to what God is calling you to do because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's saying is, make these changes so that you might experience the fullness of righteousness, peace, and joy. What a wonderful call. And all of a sudden, the the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven doesn't seem like some place that we need to get a ticket to where, you know, I've got a, a flight leaving tomorrow headed to the kingdom of God. But we understand that when Jesus is placed on the throne of our hearts to rule and reign in our life, to have his word rule over our thoughts and our actions, to have him as king opens up the door for absolute righteousness, peace, and joy, no matter what we're going through. That's the kingdom of God. Now, all of these things, they come with with their their adversaries. I mean, the scripture says we have an adversary. And it starts to make sense to me why there's so much attempt to disrupt righteousness, peace, and joy in my life. Because there is an attempt to remove me or separate me from the dominion of my King Jesus. An attempt to draw me away from his headship, his leadership, his counsel, his word, 
having rule over my thoughts and my actions. So if the first element that makes up the kingdom of God is righteousness, do you feel like there is an intentional attack on righteousness? And I don't just mean like in general, generally speaking, I mean in your life. Do you ever suffer temptation to sin? Is there an attempt to draw you away from righteousness? In my life, there absolutely is. And to say that there's not would be to lie. But to be aware of why that is, to understand the devious uh, agenda behind that is to, to come into an understanding of why that exists and it is empowering to resist. To know that this isn't about just, you know, some little decision that really doesn't matter and doesn't have any consequence and, and no one will ever know, but to understand that this is an attempt to separate me from the kingdom of God, which God sent his son Jesus to die, come out of the grave having conquered death, pour out the Holy Spirit, and bring into my life. It's empowering and equipping to say no thank you to those things that are trying to pull us away from the righteousness that we're called to walk in. I mentioned before we're going to find out what Jesus is. Now that's a goofy way to put it, but I want to tell you what I mean by that, and I'll give it to you in a passage of Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. It says, You know that He is righteous. And that's really what Jesus is. When I said what Jesus is, we're going to find out what Jesus is. That's, that's really what I'm alluding to. You know that he, Jesus, is righteous. And it goes on to say, And you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Our behaviors, our actions, our thoughts, they're extremely important. This is why Jesus has been bestowed as king over our lives so that our thoughts can be taken captive and surrendered to his headship so that our actions can be uh, subdued and surrendered to his counsel and his instruction so that righteousness can prevail in our lives so that we can truly be of him, born of him, looking like him, functioning like him. I want to give you another passage of Scripture. Now, this one is one that, that I want you to, to understand when I read it to you. It's not meant to be read in a sense of, of uh, humiliation or frustration. or It's not thrown out there to divide, but it's thrown out there to instruct. It's the reason why God gave it to us in the first place. Uh, you might understand once I read it to you. 1 John chapter 3. I want to read from verses 7 and, and on through 10, but I want to paraphrase a little bit. So it's in there, 1 John chapter 3, between verses 7 and 10. We're identified as, as children, little children. Make sure that no one deceives you. Now, I, I love that this is being built up as important. Make sure that no one deceives you is identifying an importance and an urgency on the message that's to come. It also is identifying that there are attempts in this world to cause us to believe or think differently than what God's revealing here in this passage of Scripture. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. 
And when you get down to verse 10, you see this. You see this, this identification that comes with it. Verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. What it comes down to, you'll see in the passage, the practicing of righteousness. Our identification is belonging to God, being born of Jesus Christ, revealed in our behaviors, not just our actions, but our thoughts and our intentions. It's the reason why we would be given Jesus as king and not just saved or granted pardon of our sins, but then equipped to function and operate as the children of God, born of him, behaving, functioning just like him. Now, I mentioned before that there's this adversary. I mean, if righteousness, this first element of the kingdom of God, is so important and so necessary in my life, I'm looking at at what would be a stumbling block for that. What would be the opposite? Now, most of the time, I would just think sin, but I want to give you something from the Scripture that I think could be intriguing and maybe even a little bit educational for you. I want to give you a passage of Scripture out of the book of James. The book of James, chapter 1, really it's verse 20, but I want to read verse 19 and 20. Beginning in verse 19 there in James, it's this call for everyone to to be quick to listen, quick to hear, slow to speak, and then slow to anger. And then verse 20 goes on to say this, because the anger of a person or the anger of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. If righteousness is the first element listed there as as the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven, it consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And anger can enter into a person's life and cause them to not function, not operate in the righteousness that they've been called to. I think it's no wonder there's so much temptation to pull me or draw me into situations or circumstances where I might become angry. I mean, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you feel like there are situations and circumstances in which you're tempted to become angry? I would imagine the answer is yes. To give in to those things and to give way for anger is to step out of righteousness. If somebody were asking me, what do you see as the enemy of righteousness in your life? Based on this passage of scripture in James, I would say anger. Anger. And our enemy is sowing anger for the purpose of disrupting righteousness. The righteousness that makes up the kingdom of God. I want to give you uh, some passages of Scripture concerning peace. Remember, the kingdom of God consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple of passages concerning peace out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, I want to read verses 6 and 7. It speaks of the birth of Jesus. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It goes on to say this, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David, he'll rule over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to see Jesus as king. 
to understand that He brings righteousness into our lives and to understand that He brings peace into our lives. I mean, I've said this before, but I want to say it again for the sake of today's message. When I first read that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, my, my mind thought that that meant that if it was peaceful, then, then you know, that meant that Jesus was, was cool with it. But now I see it very differently. Now I see that anything in my life that Jesus is given authority over, anything in my life that Jesus is made prince over, becomes subject to absolute ultimate peace. It also helps me to understand where there's an absence of peace, where there's anxiety or where there's fear or where there's corruption in my thinking. I have to check that area and ask, has, have I surrendered this to the authority of Jesus Christ? Or am I worried about this thing because I, I'm trying to control it myself or I'm trusting in another person to handle it on behalf of me and I'm not simply giving it over to God? I mean, if there's resistance to peace in my life, I'll give you a passage of Scripture that identifies what that is. If you have your Bibles there, you can turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians, chapter 4. I want to begin reading in verse 4. It's a call to rejoice in the Lord always. It goes on to say, Let your gentle spirit be known before all men, that the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. I want to keep reading, but I want to pause there for a moment. I mean, I want to think about that passage of Scripture, that peace that surpasses all understanding. When I read that passage of Scripture, it brings me to a place of realizing that when everyone around me is freaking out, when they're looking at me thinking that I too should be freaking out, I can stand in the midst of peace, all because of Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. I can surrender all of my cares, all of my anxieties. I can make all of those things known to him. And then I can relax. I can be at peace. Now, this is easier said than done, by the way. And I want, that's why I want to keep reading, because I think if you keep reading, you see more of the how-to, how to actually make this an effective thing and not just an academic thing. If you keep reading, it goes on to say, finally, Whatever is honorable and right and whatever is pure, uh, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And it goes on to say, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me just tell you what this is, is ultimately getting to. It's, it's a call to Filter your thoughts. Don't allow thoughts of, of chaos and, and thoughts of, of uh, 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 poverty and, and emptiness and, and thoughts of separation and thoughts of, of death. Don't let thoughts that are not of God flow through your mind. Filter those thoughts. Find the things like this is saying. The things that are honorable, lovely, of good repute. 
Find the things that are worthy of praise and excellence. It's basically a call to think about Jesus. Focus on those things, and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, it might sound like a really simple exercise, but if it it sounds like that, then that's all the more reason to put it to practice. But the next time that you're overwhelmed with anxiety and you have an attack on your peace, put that to practice. Find what is good and focus on that. Find what is lovely and focus on that. Find what is worthy of praise, that's Jesus, and focus on him. And let that anxiety have no room to function or operate in your life. Uh, Joy. Remember, the kingdom of God is made up of righteousness, peace, and then joy. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture as it concerns joy. Uh, One is out of the the gospel of John, John chapter 17. I want to read uh, verse 13 to you. But I want to remind you, John chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus prays, and he prays it for you. If you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you in your own time uh, this week, find some time to sit down, read John chapter 17, knowing that this is the prayer that Jesus prays for me. When he he gets to a portion of his prayer, we have it identified as, you know, verse 13. He didn't script it. It wasn't a speech. But for the sake of our our Bibles and how we have things uh, addressed to find them and to share them, it would be John 17, 13. When he comes to this point in his prayer, he's speaking to God and he says, Now, God, I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they, now that they is is me and you, so that they might have my joy made full in themselves. I mean, Jesus wants us to be joyful, and it's not just a call to, to be, you know, happy, but it's a call to actually share in his joy and have it made full in ourselves. So I want to ask a question concerning joy. I mean, if joy is something that God is calling us to, I'm looking for what is that that, that would be an adversary to joy. I mean, remember, with righteousness, we found anger, because if the anger exists in your life that is, is being brought into your life through outside influences, then it's a prevention to accomplishing the righteousness of God. Uh, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Obviously, that requires overcoming of anxiety, the anxiety that's being sown into our lives, I mean, through, through outside influences. When it comes to joy, I want to offer you this, that that which is sown to attack your joy is loneliness. I want to give you a passage of Scripture to support this. I'll give you this passage out of the Psalms, Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11. Now, when you read it, here's what it would read like. Uh, You'll make known to me the path of life. Now, this is the psalmist speaking to God. You'll make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is the fullness of joy, and in your right hand, pleasure forever. In your presence is the fullness of joy. The idea that this is about fellowship, that this is about connection, that this is about relationship, that this is about being in the presence of God. It's there that there's the fullness of joy. Now, if I take that passage of Scripture and I want to find, you know, the opposite of what might exist in my life when joy is absent, it would be an absence of that fellowship, that connection, being in 
the presence of God. And when I identify these things, it, it helps me to see and to understand the things that I need to be on guard. I need to be on guard that anger doesn't exist in my life and compromise my righteousness. I need to be on guard that anxiety doesn't rule my thoughts, but that I'm focused on Jesus so that peace is present in my life and not absent. And I need to understand that a lack of connection with God, that loneliness that would exist in my heart and in my mind and over my life will lead to a depression or the absence of joy. And praise God, he's made a way for us to be in the midst of his presence all through Jesus and by the outpouring of his spirit. So I want to give you this passage of scripture here as we we begin to close. If we were to to just make the statement, do you want the kingdom of God? Do you want the righteousness and the peace and the joy in the Holy Spirit? It would be hard for anyone to say no to that. And you could easily end a message on that note, and it would be, wow, you know, that was insightful. I, I, I maybe I'd never seen that scripture before. Or, but I want to find out what it takes to actually bring this into my life. What does it take for me to actually walk in the kingdom of God for the sake of righteousness and peace and joy, those things that God is bringing into my life through his kingdom? Jesus spoke about the kingdom. We already established that. It's what he talks about. And in the the Gospels, you have these moments, these recorded moments and messages where he's speaking about the kingdom. I want to share one of them with you. And I think it gives us tremendous insight in what's necessary for us to walk in the kingdom of God, to walk in the righteousness and the peace and the joy that God's called us to. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 is what we'll look at. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about the kingdom of God. And he he says this. He says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that was hidden in a field. A man finds it, hides it again, And then from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has in order to buy the field. He goes and he sells all that he has in order to buy the field. I mean, I want you to think about that. Jesus is really awesome at preaching these these short messages. I mean, this is, this is like sermon in a statement. You could fit it on a fortune cookie if you, you, you wanted to. It's this little one-verse scripture in your Bible, but yet that was his sermon. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, and a man finds it, and he hides it again. And because he's so overwhelmed with joy over the value and, and the wonder and the splendor of that treasure, he then goes off and sells everything that he has so that he can buy that field in order to obtain that treasure. Jesus is saying this to reveal to us what the kingdom of God requires. I mean, I hear about the kingdom of God. I hear about the righteousness and the peace and the joy, and I think, yeah, sign me up for that. But then when I hear that, that, that you know, it's not enough to simply be excited about it, or it's not enough to just simply say, yeah, I like those things, and I would prefer that they be in my life, but that it will cost me everything. The man sold all that he owned 
so that he could go obtain that field. There is nothing off limits. I will give it all to God. If God asks me to change who I'm friends with, I'm going to change who I'm friends with. If he asks me to change where I hang out, I'm going to change where I hang out. If he asks me to quit watching that program, I'm going to quit watching that program. If he asks me to change the standards of my life, I will yield to him. Basically what we have here is the making of Jesus our king. And upon doing this wonderful thing, this surrender, we see something incredible take place. The obtaining of that treasure that was so overwhelming that we were willing to go and sell it all. I remember sharing a message one evening. It was in Oklahoma. There was a, a university, they, this, a group in this university had their praise night, and they, they asked if they could use the auditorium for that. And I, I granted them the yes, you may, and and it was packed, you know, wall to wall, and the music was loud. It was an incredible uh, worship service. They asked me to, to speak at it, and so I spoke, and, and, and it was, we had a great time there in the Word. It was, it was a, a very uh, effective and, and powerful time. I went back to my office, and the music kept playing, and they were there. They were going to be there all night. And uh, uh, the, the message that night was about being sold out for Jesus. That was a term that all of these youth were used to, you know. I mean, we use that term, you know, wow, he's, he's sold out to that, you know. I mean, you, you, you see somebody who's devoted to something, maybe it's, it's a, a team that they're a fan of, or maybe it's a lifestyle that they live. The point is, is that this is, is a high priority in their life. But I remember that night, part of the message with, with these young people, I mean, as they identified their entire night, the theme of it was sold out. And, of course, they spelled it S-O-U-L-E-D, you know, sold out. And it was clever. And, but I asked them, do you understand what it means to be sold out? And, you know, it was quiet. Nobody wanted to just yell out an answer. But, but I, I encouraged them, now don't complicate it. Keep it really simple. Imagine that you go to the store. Pick a store. And you're going there for a certain product. Pick any product. And they're sold out. What does that mean? There's nothing there to be purchased because somebody's already bought it all. For us to be sold out to Jesus, there can't be any part of us available to anyone else. Jesus gets it all. And he's buying, by the way. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. I told you we were going to find out what Jesus buys. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, you're not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. I mean, Exodus in, in, in its writings, in, in Moses' writings, identifies that the people of God have been purchased by God. Uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, make this declaration that Jesus is worthy because he was slain and purchased for God with his own blood. Men from every tribe, every tongue, and people, every nation. And then I want you to catch what verse 10 says. Once he's made this purchase with his blood. And then he made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. That's me and that's you. 
That's a people who are purchased. A people who are completely sold out. Jesus bought it all. There's not a part of me that's for sale to Facebook. There's not a part of me that's for sale to Twitter. There's not a part of me that's for sale to the ladies. There's not a part of me that's for sale to anything or anyone else. Jesus bought it all. Sold out. A man saw something that he valued so much that he was willing to sell it all in order to obtain that thing. It's the kingdom of God. And Jesus is buying. He's buying up every aspect of your life. And the going rate is his very blood. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. You ask any group of people if they want more righteousness in their life, and the answer is always going to be a yes. Or if they want more peace in their life, and the answer is a yes. Or if they would like more joy in their life, and the answer is always yes. But if you ask people, are you willing to sell it all to Jesus in order to obtain these things? That's an altogether different situation. It's a crossroads. I love that Jesus told the, the story or gave the parable the way he did, that a man found a treasure in a field. And because of his joy, because of the value he placed on that treasure, he was willing to sell it all in order to obtain it. I mean, just think about that. It's a man. There could have been other men that walked past that same field, saw that same treasure, and were not moved to go and do what he did. I mean, for you and for me to understand that, that we have righteousness and peace and joy made available to us through Jesus is a wonderful thing. But the call and the question is, are we willing to get, let Jesus be in charge of our lives? To put Jesus on the throne as king? Are we willing to sell it all to him where the choices and the decisions we make are no longer our own, but we do what he calls us to do? What he instructs us, what he counsels us, what the word instructs us, guides us, and counsels us. And it's when we come to that place that truly we're sold out. And it's when we come to that place that I think we know Jesus more than just Savior, but we know him as King. As he's identified in the word. And it's then that we experience the wonders of his kingdom. The domain in which he rules and has jurisdiction and his jurisdiction over our life is righteousness, peace, and joy. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something in our lives. I want to ask God to reveal every area of our life that needs to be sold to Jesus, that needs to be handed over, that needs to be put under his rule, put under his authority. And anything that might pop in your mind or your heart, I want you to take it very seriously. It might mean making a change. It might mean, you know, a, a different mentality. It might mean, you know, turning something off or, or giving something up. But trust that whatever he calls you to hand over to him, he will equip and empower you to do just that. He came to set the captives free. And all of those things that keep us from righteousness, peace, and joy... Jesus is present to liberate us from those hindrances. Whether it's anger, 
whether it's anxiety, whether it's loneliness, or any other thing that would separate you from Jesus' rule and reign in every situation and circumstance. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do this work in our hearts and to give us the courage and the strength to act upon it. There where you stand, you can just simply be in agreement that God will lead us and guide us and speak to us. Father, we bless your name and thank you for your word. We thank you for your kingdom. We rejoice in our King Jesus. Let him become more than our Savior and our Redeemer, but let him daily have authority in our life. Let us come to the place of understanding that his domain and his jurisdiction over our lives is for our good and our benefit, for the purpose of bringing righteousness and peace and joy into our lives. We desire to see these things magnified according to the promises of your word. And we ask that we would align ourselves with your word. Let that overwhelming desire for what you have poured out and made available to us, let it be seen as precious and let us pursue it at all cost. That there would be nothing withheld. And I'm asking now in the name of Jesus, will you reveal to us any element of our life that's yet to be surrendered to Jesus. Let yet to be purchased by his blood. Let there not be any portion held back. But let there be a surrender. A surrender found in our thoughts, in our thinking, in our actions, in our vocabulary, in our attitude. That he would rule and reign at all times and in all things. And let the result be a full celebration of your kingdom in every aspect of our living. Let righteousness prevail over all anger. Let peace prevail over all anxiety. And let joy prevail over all loneliness. You have crushed these enemies of your kingdom. And you have equipped us to walk in the full measure of your victory in Jesus. We bless your name and we surrender to the work of your spirit that we truly might come to enjoy, know, and expand your kingdom in every aspect of our living. We bless your name. We surrender to you and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.